Welcome back to the Med Thread. This is our final episode of the year, and what a ride it's been. We've covered a lot of topics, but we kept this one for today as we're in the holiday season and safety is our priority. Today, we talk about falling. Our bodies rely on almost all of our senses to keep us upright and balanced. Our feet sense the floor, our inner ear or vestibular system keeps us from tipping over, our visual system takes in clues from our surroundings and helps us plan next steps, and our brains process all of this information almost instantaneously to keep us steady. So it's no surprise that we often don't think about how we can get up, walk around, and sit back down pretty much automatically. So many things are responsible for helping us stand up, and there are equally numerous reasons why we fall. It could be problems with the vestibular system, loss of sensitivity in the limbs, changes to vision, loss of consciousness, loss of muscle and bone strength, and the list continues. We fall when we learn to walk as children. We fall when we play sports. When we trip on an uneven floor. We fall on slippery surfaces. We fall off ladders, swings, chairs. But most of the time, we get back up again. We tend to a bump or bruise, and we wrap up a sprain, and we're back on our feet. Falling is a part of life, so why do we care so much when people fall? Well, in Canada, falls are a big problem. Mike and I both have a story about a fall that has impacted us. Well, not us ourselves, but someone that we loved. And not only do falls affect individuals, but they're really costly to the system. Did you know it costs the Canadian healthcare system $4,000 a year for dialysis, $10,000 for a coronary bypass, but a whopping $30,000 to treat a fall through multiple investigations like ECGs, echoes, CTs, and the root cause, such as delirium, infection, medications. And this doesn't include the cost of a fracture repair. Falls are the leading cause of injury hospitalizations for seniors across the country, and these contribute to 9% of all emergency department visits. 30% of seniors living in the community will be institutionalized within a year following a hip fracture, and 20 to 30% of those patients will actually die within one year. So in the last 30 years or so, we've been thinking about falls a lot more, and it's become a big part of preventative programs in long-term care, hospitals, and the community. Yet people continue to fall, they continue to get fractures, and they continue to be hospitalized. The best we can do as patients and health providers is to help minimize the risk of falling. Looking back to the 1980s, we started to see lists of risks being published, emphasizing medical problems and medications. Many of these are still concerns, but over the years, we've also started to look at behavioral and environmental risks as we start to see connections between these and falls. Today, as pharmacists, we'll focus on medications, but we should mention some of these other risks as well. Right. Fall prevention requires a coordinated effort from the patient, all family, friends, and healthcare providers. And the public, too, to make sure roads and paths are well-maintained and that our living environment is safe. Before we go on, one of the biggest risks for falls is having a previous fall. So it's really important that we prevent the first one. And you might think that if people didn't move quite as much, that they wouldn't fall quite as much. But the opposite is true. Being sedentary or not moving because of a fear can make things worse. So if assistive devices like canes, grab bars, or walkers are needed and helpful, then they should be used. And that includes shoes. We've probably all experienced wearing shoes that don't fit properly, whether they were too small or too large. 
Trying to walk in them is difficult, and the same goes for wearing heels and wearing certain slippers. The good thing is that most of these behavioral or environmental things can be modified, and often all it takes are a few adjustments in and out of the home to make it a lot safer. From the medical side, there are many diseases and conditions that increase patients' risks of falls. Things like Parkinson's, diabetes, COPD, Alzheimer's, strokes, and incontinence, to name a few. What's unfortunate is that some of the medications used to treat these conditions may also increase that risk. We'll get into those a little later, but let's first talk about a condition that affects over two million people in Canada: osteoporosis. So, a good way to prevent falls is to have strong bones and muscles. Falls and fractures go hand in hand, and as our understanding of osteoporosis increases, we have medications that can prevent fractures by helping build or maintain bone. Of course, the simplest is calcium and vitamin D, as they are essential nutrients for bones. Some of the older medications used for osteoporosis are known as bisphosphonates, and they work by preventing bone from being resorbed. That is, they stop further loss of bone. Then we got calcitonin nasal spray for a few years, which seemed like a good idea until it was taken off the market in 2013 because of increased cancer risk. Then came denosumab, and it has become a mainstay in the treatment over the last five to ten years. There's a bit of a problem, though. Most of the medications we have reduce bone loss and rely on our bodies to do the building. Until recently, we have a new medication available that looks like it can build bone as well. So that's exciting. It's called romuzumab, and it's from a new class of drugs called slerostin inhibitors. It's too soon to know long-term effects or how this will fare compared to other established medications, but there will probably be a few more from this class in the years ahead. We also noticed in the 1980s that menopause and drops in hormone production, especially estrogen, led to changes in bone density in women. We found that hormone replacement was able to prevent it, and also discovered a few select medications acting directly on the hormone receptors that were able to reduce fracture risks as well. All medications have their risks and side effects, but at least we have some medications that indirectly help to prevent falls. Now, let's talk about those that can lead to falling. Inappropriate medications can increase the risk of a fall by about fifty percent. These do so by their intended effects and often by causing side effects. Let's talk about the big classes of medications that increase fall risk. I think the first class that's near and dear to our province are the benzodiazepines. Newfoundland is great, but we are also great at having poor prescribing practices. We have the second highest rate of benzodiazepine use in the country, with 21% of our seniors being chronic users of benzodiazepines in 2017. Benzodiazepines and Z drugs, Zolpidem or Zolpidem, increase the risk of a fall threefold. And oftentimes, we see these doses being upped and upped as tolerance and dependence develop. Increasing the dose further increases the risk of a fall. These medications are used for sleep and intentionally dampen the central nervous system. But when they do too good of a job, we have problems, and it can affect concentration, balance, and also cause that dreaded hangover effect. And this is one class of medications that affected somebody in my life. So a few years ago, my grandma was having trouble sleeping and was prescribed one of these medications, and she was using it for a while, and it seemed to be working, and her sleep was getting better. Unfortunately, 
She also has other risk factors like blood pressure and diabetes. There was one evening when she took one of these medications and got up to go to the washroom and for some reason had a fall down the stairs. And it was partly because she had taken the medication but had not yet fallen asleep yet. So it was just maybe an hour, half an hour to an hour after she had taken the medication, um, but it had not worked yet. So she didn't realize that the medication would cause her to lose her balance, and she didn't realize that the medication would also make her drowsy enough to fall. And so because of this, she was hospitalized for a little bit, um, and she also got a hit on her head, and uh, now she's all right, um, but uh, what an ordeal that could be. Pain and opioid use are also of concern, but this is a double-edged sword. Pain is a risk for falling, simply as we tend to accommodate, move around, or shift our weight to reduce it. It reminds me of cartoons of people stubbing their toe and jumping up and down. You can imagine, if one knee hurts because of osteoarthritis, you tend to put less weight on it and favor the other knee. This can lead to imbalance. The same goes for muscle pain in the legs. I remember a few times after working out, doing squats or long-distance running, and the next day being a little unbalanced, hobbling up and down the stairs. And this can even happen with upper body pain and not being able to hold on to something to break a fall. Then we also have neuropathic pain, often characterized by tingling or numbness. Losing sense of your surroundings isn't good for balance, and coupled with less movement overall, pain can lead to falls. Okay, so we have medications that are used for pain. The strong ones are the opioids. And opioids are great for certain kinds of pain, but unfortunately have not so great side effects on the central nervous system. You've got drowsiness and sedation and dizziness and nausea which are worse if too much is taken. They can affect breathing and also cause confusion. It can affect people who just started taking them or people who have been on opioids for a long time. And it's riskier when people use different opioids and when people change from one to another. Another prominent class of medications are the antipsychotics, your quetiapine, nilansipine, risperidone, haloperidol, etc. These medications can have many unwanted effects. Sometimes they're used for those effects, such as for sleep. They can cause orthostatic hypotension, and if the pressure drops enough, a patient can feel dizzy and unsteady and fall as a result. On top of orthostasis, they can increase the risk of delirium and cause confusion, sedation, and memory disturbances, all potential causes for falls. The antipsychotics are certainly a drug class that are being targeted by various campaigns, and we have started to notice a decrease in the use of antipsychotics in long-term care. I've been involved in a couple different deprescribing initiatives in long-term care, and one is a recent project uh, carried out by the Canadian Federation for Healthcare Improvement, and it really looks at the appropriate use of antipsychotics in long-term care. There have been some really good, kind of feel-good stories come out of this, we often see antipsychotics being used for the behavioral symptoms of dementia, particularly in long-term care. So patients that may be agitated um, because of their dementia are being prescribed medications like quetiapine um, in order to settle them. When it really isn't helping the agitation, it's just causing sedation in the kind of interim and causes the patient to be 
sleepy enough that they're no longer agitated. But it doesn't really help with the agitation in the long term and actually has, you know, really, really high rates of side effects, um, including increasing risk of falls, of course, but also strokes. So lots of reasons why we don't prefer to use them. Um, and we are actually seeing a lot of good things come out of the project. We have seen a significant decrease in antipsychotic doses and the use of antipsychotics in general. And one story that they have highlighted as part of the appropriate use of antipsychotics in Newfoundland is that there was one gentleman whose wife uh, was residing in long-term care who had dementia and was being prescribed high doses of antipsychotics. And when it was evaluated, the team, the medical team, really thought maybe this is a, a patient that may not need this antipsychotic. And when they stopped uh, when they stopped to look at it and they decreased the dose, the patient was able to get down to half of the dose that they were taking in the beginning. And the husband certainly shared stories of them being able to go for walks for the first time in years. Um, we've also heard patients that weren't able to carry out full sentences were now being able to talk um, in full conversations because their doses were decreased or the drugs were discontinued. So there's certainly a lot of good things coming out of this and certainly a decrease in the risk of overall falls. Next, we'll need to consider all the blood pressure medications, and we've got a lot of them. For a long time, we were concerned that people's blood pressures were too high, and rightly so, because it's a major risk factor for cardiovascular disease and heart attacks. But as we learned more, we've been more cautious in using them, and more cautious about blood pressure goals. I would say that all of them can potentially cause too low of a blood pressure, which leads to dizziness and falling. When they're at the right dose, they're all right. If I push it too much, or if a patient's health status changes, the same medication at the same dose can be problematic. We'll talk about how pharmacists can help manage this. But moving on to the next class, it's often a closely related condition, diabetes. Just like low blood pressure can lead to falls, low blood sugar or hypoglycemia can also do it because of significant dizziness and potentially the loss of consciousness. There are some diabetes medications that generally don't cause hypoglycemia, but many that do, such as insulin or sulfonylureas. Similar to blood pressure, when they're at the right dose, they're all right, but too much or when the health status changes, we need to be extra careful. And last but not least, and actually perhaps the biggest class that can lead to falls, are the anticholinergics. And I say this is the biggest because many, many drugs have anticholinergic properties even if they weren't intended to. So these anticholinergic drugs are typically things used for gastrointestinal disorders, urinary disorders, and respiratory disorders. I always think of oxybutynin as being highly anticholinergic, but there are other medications that have anticholinergic side effects as well. Antihistamines, our over-the-counter Benadryl, and our over-the-counter Gravol are also culprits involved in causing falls. It reminds me of the recent concern about first-generation antihistamines in the news. Because they can cause drowsiness and significant sedation, among other side effects, there are calls to review whether it should be still available over-the-counter. And Health Canada will need to take a close look at this, because these drugs are in a large number of products. Pretty much every time you see something sold as a nighttime cough-and-cold product or an over-the-counter sleep aid, it has one of these antihistamines. But back to the anticholinergic drugs. As we said, they span a range of different classes of use. Some are antidepressants, the tricyclic antidepressants like amitriptyline or amipramine, or SSRIs like paroxetine. 
Some are used for overactive bladder, such as oxybutynin and antolteridine. Some are antipsychotics we mentioned before. Some are intended for gastrointestinal conditions, for example, dimethyldrenate and even ranitidine. Some are muscle relaxants, like cyclobenzaprine or baclofen. Last I looked, there are over a hundred medications with anticholinergic effects. But these medications have their uses and can be quite helpful, safe, and effective for the conditions they're treating. In each patient's unique situation, the doses they use and their body's sensitivity to these will differ. But one important factor common to everyone is the number of medications they are taking. There are so many anticholinergics that a number of anticholinergic burden scales have been created to help health providers assess the degree that patients are exposed to these effects, and we can share some of these with you on our website. The absolute number of medications is significantly associated with risk of falls. As we know, it is not often a patient is just taking one or two medications, and 33% of our seniors take at least five medications, meaning they are likely to be taking at least one that can contribute to falls. We often see prescribing cascades, where one medication is often added to offset the side effect from another medication. And oftentimes, these prescribing cascades can mean that a medication with anticholinergic side effects or a medication that can increase risk of falls gets added on. One that I commonly see in practice starts off with a patient experiencing pain, maybe osteoarthritis pain, and then they're prescribed an anti-inflammatory medication like naproxen. So they start taking this regularly, and we know that these medications can contribute to hypertension. So then a patient gets started on a medication for blood pressure, and sometimes we start with a diuretic like hydrochlorothiazide. And then a patient notices, okay, so now they are losing fluid to help with their blood pressure with their hydrochlorothiazide, and this is causing them to have urinary frequency, they're constantly going to the bathroom, and then this can be often diagnosed as overactive bladder. So then a patient's looking for something for the treatment of the urinary frequency and gets added on a medication like oxybutynin, which we mentioned is highly anticholinergic. As these medications get added on, hydrochlorothiazide may be, you know, the dose may be pushed and they could be hypotensive and then combine that with being on an anticholinergic medication like oxybutynin can cause them to have a fall. So oftentimes, you know, when we're looking at prescribing medications, we want to consider whether or not what the patient is experiencing could actually be a side effect of another medication that we could just switch to avoid these prescribing cascades. So what can we do? So first of all, look at a patient's med list. Consider each medication. Are there any that we know that increase the risk of falls, like benzodiazepines? Which ones are anticholinergic? Do any cause low blood pressure? And what about low blood sugar? And then we want to say, is there a safer alternative? I'm always recommending for patients to be switched off of things like glyburide and onto safer medications for diabetes, like SGLT2 inhibitors or GLP-1 agonists, which aren't associated with hypoglycemia. And I'm always recommending a switch from oxybutynin to something like fesoteridine, which isn't as anticholinergic and doesn't cross the blood-brain barrier, thus carries less fall risk. And like we mentioned, sometimes conditions themselves put patients at risk of a fall. For example, patients with Parkinson's have difficulty with their gait and are often unsteady, putting them at risk of the fall. But combine that with the hypotension that we can cause by treating them with something like Cinemet and other anti-Parkinsonian medications, and the fall risk keeps rising. 
we've seen a lot of patients that are taking multiple antihypertensives, which they may have needed years ago. But over time, they haven't really been reassessed as to whether or not they're still required. A lot of the patients that I see are actually hypotensive and experiencing hypotensive drops when standing from orthostasis, and this, of course, is a fall risk. By decreasing or stopping unnecessary blood pressure medications, they avoid those drops. So here's our New Year's resolution for patients and health providers. Take a look at your medications, find out which ones can increase risk of falling, and have a conversation about whether they're still necessary, whether they're at the right dose, and what steps can be taken to reduce all of that. Sometimes it may be as simple as taking less or stopping a medication. We'll be on a break for a few months, but we'll return with more MedThread in the spring. Thanks for listening, and as always, send us suggestions and comments at medthread at mon.ca. Merry Christmas and Happy Holidays! <laughs>